Merry Christmas. That really gets me. I think sometimes, you know, we, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about Christmas today. We're picking up in the story in the New Testament. We spent 20 weeks in the Old Testament. We, we talked about God creating the world. We talked about what happened. We talked about sin entering into the world. We talked about how God would continue to send prophets and people to the nation of Israel to say, hey, you're my people, you're my nation, you're my chosen ones. We've spent 20-some weeks in that, and today we're going to pick up, and we're going to start the New Testament, and today we're celebrating Christmas, and as we talked about this as a staff, one of the things we said was, it's going to be kind of neat to talk about Christmas in July, because a lot of times when we're talking about Christmas in December, we've got a lot of distractions going on. We're thinking about a lot of things, we've got a lot of things on our mind, it's what we do at at December, and so in July you don't really talk about Christmas, do you? And so today we're going to celebrate Christmas, hopefully you've got all your shopping done, so today's not a distraction for you. But, you know, again, we spent 20 weeks in the Old Testament, and throughout the Old Testament, God had a message of prediction and a promise that the Messiah was going to come into this broken world, and he was going to make things right again. That this Messiah that was going to come, and at the fulfillment of time, God was going to send the Messiah into this world, and He was going to make things complete once again, make things new. God provided, as I said, for His people prophets, and He blessed them. He protected them. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this huge journey as they came out of Egypt. We saw this nation begin to form. We saw how they were attacked. We saw how uh, the enemy came in and tried to deceive and tried to get them off point. But again and again and again, we saw God's miraculous hand touch them. God's miraculous hand guide them. God's miraculous hand provide for them. God's miraculous hand continuing to bless them over and over and over and over again. He's in 400 years. We get to the end of the Old Testament. We kind of go through that whole story, and at the end, it seems like they still didn't get it. If you remember the whole time, they went into captivity and they came out, God still didn't abandon them. And at the end of the Old Testament, at the end of Malachi, between Malachi and Matthew, we literally have a period of about 400 years of silence. God's not communicating. God's not really speaking to them. They're not seeing the hand of God. And for 400 years, there's this, there's this time of anticipation. There's this moment that says, hey, wait a minute. There's predictions of this Messiah. There was prophecies of this Messiah, this person coming to, to the world to make things right again. Where is it at? Where is God at? Where is God moving? Where is God speaking? And so for 400 years, it seems to be as if this huge anticipation keeps building and swelling and building and swelling and swelling to the point to where it's like, when is God coming? And in Matthew, Jesus comes. God delivers on his promise. And his promise is to reconcile a broken world back to himself. A promise that says, my people are far away from me and I'm going to provide a way of salvation so that they can have a relationship with me. And God delivers on that promise. But here's the ironic part, or here's the, not ironic, but here's the part that's a bit confusing or a bit disturbing. As God fulfills and delivers on that promise, there were many people that missed the clues. There were many people that completely missed the clues. When Jesus came, they totally missed him being the Messiah. It's as if there was this mistaken identity, this, this sense of a mistaken identity. How many of you have ever been in a situation where 
Um, you see someone that looks familiar, and you kind of yell out their name, you yell, and you're like, man, I know it's this person. And they look at you, and they're like, I, I have no clue who you are. And you're like, well, yeah, you do. Aren't you related to so-and-so, you know, like my brother, or whatever. You know, and you start trying to unfold this thing where you, you know this person, and they just kind of look at you like, I don't know who you are. You're crazy. You need to get away from me, you know? And, or maybe it's happened to you where someone, I've, I think I've reached that age where everybody looks familiar, you know, and you're always trying to place that, I mean, I know I've seen that person someplace, you know, or I know their name, and it's like you can't, and so you have this whole mistaken identity thing, and there's times to where you engage with a person, and you sit there, and even though you may be wrong, you're like, I, I'm, I'm determined to convince that this person is who I think it is, whether it's them or not, you know what I'm saying? It's like you're saving face or something. And it's like, it's as if, and we do this in other situations too, it's as if we have all the facts, or or if we believe in something so strongly, even if we have opposing facts, we still will not shift our thinking. Does that make sense? It's, It's what happened to Israel. Israel had in their mind what this Messiah was going to look like. They had in their mind this promise this, from the predictions and the prophecies and all these other things that this Messiah, was when he came into the world, they had in their mind what this person was going to look like. And they were so convinced, many of them were so convinced that the Messiah was going to look like what they had conjured up in their mind that they completely missed him altogether. They could not grasp, many of them could not grasp the fact that Jesus was going to be born to a peasant family. That went completely against their ideology. That went completely against everything they believed. And for some, a lot, they completely missed this Messiah. They could not grasp it. And consequently, many tried to kill Jesus, in which Some of them thought they successfully did, but many people tried to kill him for his claim to being God. Now, when we read the book of Matthew, just a little quick information thing, many of you know this, but when we read, like the Gospels, when we talk about the synoptic Gospels, literally Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you start reading those, what we call the synoptic Gospels, they're called that because it it sounds like they have the same story. When you read Matthew and Mark and Luke and and most of John, they all kind of talk about the same thing. They all, you know, you'll read about a miracle that happened, you know, Matthew will record a miracle, um, you know, like maybe the feeding of the five. 5,000 or whatever, and, and some of the other authors will too, maybe Luke or Mark or all three of them. And so, but the one thing that we need to understand is the, the different audiences that these guys were writing to. Matthew was writing to the Jews. And so when, as he was writing to the Jews, what he wanted to communicate to the Jews was there are a lot of prophecies that have been fulfilled. This is the Messiah. His main goal was to say, look, This promise was given to us as the Jews, as the chosen people. This promise was given to us, and these prophecies, all of them have come true. And so his one of his aims was, is to convince the Jews that the Messiah has come. Mark wrote to the Romans. Mark was a little bit different, and one of the things that would intrigue a Roman was this whole concept of servants. Right? I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? And so a lot of the perspective in which Mark comes at it, he's, kind of, he's showing Christ as being a servant. Luke, what do we know about Luke? What was he? He was a doctor. He was a physician. 
So his goal was to write to the Greeks. The Greeks were very academic. They were very heady in their thinking. They were, they were philosophers. They were the thinkers. And so in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, listen to what he says. He says, with this in mind, do we not, there we go. With this in mind, since I myself, Luke talking, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Luke is saying, uh, and as a physician, physicians are known to be very detail-oriented, correct? At least those are the ones I like to go to, you know? I don't need some haphazard physician. Ah, oh, we'll just try whatever, you know. I want someone that's detail-oriented, you know. And so Luke was very detail-oriented. And so he was recording these things, and he would record the miracles. He would record things that would, that, that would like, kind of confound the Greek thinker. You know, like, wow, this is, this is very interesting. How could Jesus bring someone back to life? How could Jesus do, you know, heal the lame? How could Jesus make someone see again? And so his account was very detailed. And so he documents, when he, and he documents the snapshots of his birth. John, on the other hand, remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John, on the other hand, has this big 40,000-foot worldview perspective perspective when he writes. And John is wanting to tell the people, this Jesus, he didn't just show up at the manger. This Jesus is eternal. And one of the first things you read in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 is what? In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He would go on to say in verse 3, Through Him all things are made. Paul echoes this in his writings. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. John wants his readers to know that Jesus just didn't begin at Bethlehem. (laughs) This Jesus guy did not just begin at Bethlehem. Jesus was at the very foundation of the world. In fact, let's go back into the Old Testament, because many of the things that took place in the Old Testament, Jesus was there, not physically, but Jesus was there orchestrating things, making things happen. Actually, he was there at creation, where we read. Again, as as the author of John says, Paul picks up on this theme too. But as we look at the birth of Christ today, I want to share with you just a couple things. Today we're going to look at the birth. Next week we're going to look at his ministry. But but today I want to I want to share with you some thoughts from Matthew chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty one. Go back to Matthew, and he's documenting he's documenting again to the Jews this birth of Jesus. He's taking the perspective. Um, uh, of Joseph. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to make Mary, do uh, not take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He goes on to write in verses 24 and 25, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage, and she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name of Jesus. Now, as we talk about the birth of Christ, and we look at the birth, and we look at it how it pertains 
to this story, this series that we're in, this, where we're kind of just taking a snapshot, we're looking at the highlights, the big events of what's taking place, I want to share with you a couple points. The first one is this. God uses his people to do his will. God uses people to do his will. Let's not miss that. I want to read it one more time. God uses people. I'm a people. Right? That's not bad. I'm using that for, I'm a person, you're a person, I'm a people, you're a people, right? I've distracted some of you. Get over it. God uses people. That means every single person sitting here this morning, and as we, if we would read through the New Testament, that is exactly what it continues to say. God saves his people for a purpose. There's not a loophole here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've accepted his free gift of grace and salvation, you are called to be used by God. Your life is not yours any longer. You've, what should have happened is you've surrendered, not your life, you've surrendered your life, but it really comes down to this. You've surrendered everything. You've surrendered your will. I no longer live for myself. We've talked about this hundreds and hundreds of times, but this is where Christianity really hits the road. This is where really the rub begins because for a lot of us, it's like we have this cognitive ability to say, I've accepted salvation, but yet we don't really truly live it. We haven't surrendered our will yet. And in the Bible, there's there's not that delineation. It's when we surrender, our will has been surrendered, which means God uses us at his beck and call, that we are part of something bigger and eternal. He used people like, we went through the whole Old Testament. Remember the stories. You've heard them before. Some of you have heard them since you've been a kid. We talked about Noah and how God came to Noah and said, I want you to build this ark. God uses a person like Noah to save a few of his family and then repopulate the earth. He used people like Abraham. He used people like Isaac. He used people like Jacob, Moses, Joseph, Gideon, Esther, David, Deborah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, you, me. The list goes on and on and on and on. Here's the kicker. God could, God could do this however he wants to do it. God could literally, remember, his thing is he's reconciling a lost the dying world back to himself. He's restoring that relationship that was broken. God can snap his fingers and do it however he would choose to do it. Guys, this is very fundamental. This is very foundational. This is basic Christianity 101. When we read the scriptures, we is like I've been saying, God chooses to use people to bring about this great thing. He chooses to use people. So if you're sitting in here this morning and you say, I don't really have to plug in because I don't want to, you're literally going against the Scripture. You're going against the Bible. And if you would like to debate that with me or or argue with me, I would love to sit down and talk to you about that. I'm convinced that this is what, how God, throughout Scripture, this is what God does. He uses, He chooses to use people, even with all of our flaws, Case in point, I'm going to put Pat and Melissa back, on the, back in the limelight again, back on stage. Even through some of their brokenness that they experienced in their marriage, and God came in and made their marriage whole again, God is now taking them and saying, I want to use you to bless other individuals. That doesn't mean they're perfect. That doesn't mean that we have to 
bow down and worship Pat and Melissa. What it means is God took two individuals that, had, that, that experienced something pretty negative within their marriage, and he done something miraculous. He made it new once again, and these individuals are able to reach out to other individuals and help them where they may be struggling within their marriage. Some of you need to go and talk to Pat and Melissa because your marriage is not the way it should be. That's how God uses people. Some of us, God, and I don't want to put Amy Campbell, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second, but you approached me one week and said, you know what, I'm more than willing to help anybody I can through, my life, through some of the experiences I've had in my life. That's how the church works. That's how the church works. So I hope you understand that when I become so passionate, when we say our spirituality is very personal, where do you get that at? I don't understand where we get that at. God chooses to use people. When you struggle through something and God miraculously comes into your life and you finally surrender and you say, God, I can't do this anymore. I'm botching everything up. I'm screwing my marriage up. I'm screwing my kids up or whatever it is. Whatever it is. And you finally get to that point where you've, you've reached the end of your rope and you say, you say, God, take it. Because I can't do this. And God comes in and you literally surrender everything to him and God comes sweeping in and he says... Let me make it new again. You can't take that and say, well, I'm not going to communicate this to anybody. I, I'm not going to communicate this out because it might embarrass me. It's God's story now. God wants to use you to reach other individuals that may be struggling in the same way. Many of you are sitting here and you've gone through certain things and God has come in and he's done that for you. It is now your opportunity to allow God to use you to bring others to him. Does that make sense? God chooses to use people, regardless of how flawed we are. He used a virgin by the name of Mary and Joseph. The Old Testament can be summed up. If we took the Bible, we could sum it up and say the Old Testament is summed up by saying Jesus is coming. The New Testament is, is essentially, or the New Testament Gospels up into Acts can be summed up as saying Jesus is here. The latter part of the, the, latter part of the New Testament is saying, hey, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is returning, and it all started with a baby. Think about it for a second. Is that how you would have done it? God chooses this person who created the foundation of this world. Before the foundation of the world was laid, the Word was with God. The Word was God. God, Jesus, created things through His spoken Word. He created all things, and now God the Father sends Jesus into this world, as you and I know it, as a baby a very very innocent child that's now crying and cooing and has dirty diapers and all this other stuff i don't i you know i sometimes i thank god that i didn't live back in that time because i i hope i because i look back and i'm thinking i might have missed it that's huge but yet God says, I'm going to use people. I'm going to use this couple in the name of, of Mary and Joseph. And I'm going to make, it, I'm going to make this happen and, and become flesh. And here's the thing. Many people had it in their head that that's not how it was supposed to be. And they missed the Messiah. So the first thing is, God uses people to do his will. None of us are exempt from that. Some of, none of us are exempt from that. God uses people to do his will. The second thing is this. God has a plan. God has a plan. God is going to bring this gift of salvation, this whole concept of reconciliation, he's going to bring it in person, in a person. He's going to bring it in a person. 
And, and you can imagine, you know, be like, surely no one will miss that. Surely no one will miss this person. I'm going to bring this plan. I'm going to bring this gift of salvation, this gift of reconciliation to this world through a person, this gift that no one else can give, only I can give, this gift of redemption, this gift of forgiveness, this gift of grace, this gift of mercy, this gift of eternal salvation. I'm going to bring it, and I'm going to bring it in a person. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9.15. He says, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. This is an indescribable gift. How can you describe the gift of God that says, I'm going to provide a way for you to have a relationship with me, that you don't have to die and live in eternal separation from me, but I'm going to provide a way. I have a plan, God's plan, a plan that came with a great price for Jesus. He would live a perfect life without sin, and he would take our place so that we could have this relationship, this, 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 these things that we t- this, this incredible gift. God still gave his gift knowing. This is something that is really mind-bending to me at times, but God still gave this gift knowing that many would misunderstand him. God still gave this gift knowing that there was going to be many that would reject him, even to t- today. There are people today that still reject this gift. And God said, I'm still going to give this gift. So God uses people. God has a plan. And then the last one is this. God always keeps his promises. Always. Back in Genesis, when we read about sin coming into the world, one of the first things that God said in that situation was, he looked at the serpent and said, there's going to be a day coming when what? Someone's going to crush, the heel of this person is going to crush your head. That's one of the first promises that God made. That promise, that thread goes clear through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, through the whole Bible. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He came, the Messiah came, and he crushed the head of Satan, destroying death. God said, I'm, I, he promised to make a nation of the people. He promised to make a nation. Back in the Genesis, he talked to Abraham. He made this covenant with Abraham that said, I am going to make a nation of people that's going to bless the whole world. He made other promises that said, you know, there's going to be someone coming to show this whole world how to live. He made a promise that there would be a Savior. He made a promise that this, of this, all this good news, he made this promise and he communicated it through prophetic scriptures. There are over 300, there are over 300 messianic prophecies in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Over 300 prophecies that says that Jesus, that there's going to be a Messiah coming to this world. They break it down, when I say they, theologians, break it down, and they break it down into 60 major ones and 250 minor ones. And so... Out of over these 300 prophecies, it's saying, God is saying, there's going to be a time. There's going to be a time. There's going to be a time. This is what to look for. This is the sign. This is the sign. When you see this, by the way, what's the sign? The virgin birth. How many of us have ever seen a virgin birth? That's a sign. When you see the virgin birth, Isaiah talks about this, you're going to know that the Messiah is here. Over 300 prophecies communicate that the Messiah is coming. Listen to a couple of these. 
Well, first of all, Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. But listen to a couple of these. I just listed a couple. Micah 5, 2 talks about the place of his birth. This was communicated over 400 years before Jesus was born. Listen to what it says. But you, Bethlehem, through though you are small among the clans of Judah, not of you, not uh, of, out of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old from ancient times. That was written some 400 years before Jesus came to this world, predicting and prophesying where the Messiah would be born. Another one, 700 years before his birth, Isaiah 7:14. therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. What is the sign? That the virgin will conceive and she will give birth to a son and she will call him Emmanuel. Another one written by Isaiah, some 700 years before his birth and his death. Isaiah writes in 53, 5 and 6, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 700 years before Jesus was even born, and before he even died, you know, 30-some years after that, before he was crucified, Isaiah, God writes through the prophet Isaiah, saying that this person is going to come, and he's going to take all of your all of your sin, all of your flaws, all of your shortcomings, all of that. He's going to take it for you so that you don't have to go in that place. Some 400 years before Judas and Jesus' arrest, Zechariah 11, 12, 13 says this. I to, 11, 12, and 13, I told them, if you think it's best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. The handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. And then this next one from Psalm. The psalmist writes, this is like 800 to 1,000 years before his death. Listen to what the psalmist says. Dogs surrounded me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. That was written some 800 to 1,000 years before the death of Jesus Christ. How is this stuff important? Well, first of all, God is communicating out saying there's a Messiah coming. And I want you to listen to this. There was a mathematician some years ago, a mathematician sat down, and he tried to figure out, tried to create a mathematical equation of one person, one man, fulfilling just eight, just eight of these prophecies, okay? And he sat down and poured over this, and what he came up with was, is one in ten to the 17th power. I don't know what that means. I just know it sounds absolutely impossible. One in ten to the 17th power for one person, for one person, just to fulfill eight of these prophecies. There were over 300 of these prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. God has given us a road map. You and I have this huge advantage where we can look. We have the scripture. We have the Bible where we can pour over and we can see. We can pull back and we can look at this big picture that says... Man, God loves us. God loves me. God wants to have this incredible intimate relationship with me. God wants to use me. God has a plan. God has fulfilled all of his promises. 
Jesus Christ is this person. Jesus Christ is this plan of salvation. He is in this this is a person that I can have this intimate relationship with. with. God, we are so for, you and I are so fortunate to have that type of information to sit down where we can look at it and we can read and we can encounter and we can see God's word literally come alive. But most of these prophecies, think about this too. Most of these prophecies, Jesus had absolutely no control over. Let me ask you something. Is there anybody sitting in here that had control over who they were going to be born to? Anybody? How about where you were going to be born, what town you would be born in? Anybody? There were so many prophecies that Jesus, I mean, a a man couldn't even, there's no way you could even determine that. What town you were born into, born to a virgin by the name of Mary, engaged to a man named Joseph, Moving to Egypt, moving back, moving, growing up in Nazareth, all these things. Here's the thing. God keeps his promises. God, God keeps his promise. In Galatians, listen to what Paul writes in chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. And he's talking about the birth of Christ. He says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus came. Perfect sacrifice, perfect example. That's why it came to this earth. And with all of these prophecies, as I close here, I just want to share, let me say this. With all of these prophecies, people had in mind an earthly kingdom, which we're going to talk about next week. People were so focused in that it's, the Messiah's coming to build this earthly kingdom. This can't be the Messiah. Again, remember, remember what I said before this whole mistaken identity thing? When we get, so, when we get our minds set on something, when we have this, this strong conviction about something, it, it, it's, like, it's like we can't change our mind. It's like we can have all the facts, we can have all the statistics, we can have all this stuff over here that says, you are thinking wrong. And it's like, I don't care because this is what I think. And it's like we, it's almost impossible that we have this paradigm shift that says, maybe I'm not thinking clearly here. Back in this time, there were many people that missed Jesus because they were so set on, they were so set on that when he came, this Messiah was going to build their earthly kingdom. And they completely missed the Messiah because he came to build a spiritual kingdom. They completely missed him. This morning as we close, I hope that that this could be a time where we could just reflect a minute upon our lives. Reflect a minute. And as we heard, that God sent His Son here. God sent His Son for this, this free gift of salvation. It came with a price. But there's more to it. It's not just us taking it and saying, hey, thanks a lot, God. You just gave me a great gift. Now let me just go, go on my own way. God has reached out and given us, given us, each one of us, this incredible invitation to follow him, to be a part of his family, to be adopted into his family. And with that comes this, this, this thing that God wants to use us, that God wants us to help advance his spiritual kingdom even here on earth. God places people in your lives where he's saying, I want you to talk to them about me. I want you to develop a relationship with that person. I want you to share with them how I've changed your life. And not something that, and I know it's significant, so don't hear me. 
minimize it or demean it, but not something that's happened 40, 50, 60 years ago. What has happened in your life last week where Jesus came and said, I love you. And I want to change something in you. I want you to become more like me. What is that thing where Jesus has come into your life, where he's touched you, where he radically continues to transform you, where he continually changes you into the image of him? Where you begin to think differently, where you begin to feel differently, where you begin, to, where you begin to process everything differently because you're not processing it through your will, but you're processing it through the will of God and how God wants to use you in this world, this broken world, and, and, and use you in something that's so eternal versus temporary, use you in, in, in an eternal way to... to use you in a way that has eternal implications. I pray that as we, as we pause and we uh, close with a couple songs here, that we would just spend a few minutes introspecting. As I, I say this every week. Every week I speak, I say the same thing. Could this be a time where we truly just begin to encounter God, where we strip away our will and just shove it to the side and say, God, I'm yours. And I'm tired of being distracted. I'm tired of, you know, some of you, some of you are doing a great job with it. There are some of us in here that need to be renewed. We need to be refreshed. We need to be reminded again that God's in charge and we're not. And God's in control and that we're not. So I pray that you just use this time to once again celebrate that the Messiah is here. The Messiah is here. And let's not miss that. Let's not miss that at all. Let's take a minute and just close with a prayer and then close with a couple songs. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you so much that, you know, I personally thank you for allowing us to live on this side of the crucifixion and all of that where we can look back and we have your word. We have have others. We have other things. uh, We have other individuals in our lives that helps shape and influence us and, and, and encourage us and remind us again that, that you are alive and that God that we can see your mighty hand moving and we can look into other people's lives and we can see where they have experienced brokenness and we can see where you came in and made things new and just reinforcing that you're there that you, that you so desperately want to have this intimate relationship and help us to become more like you I pray, God, where, for those individuals in here that may be struggling, struggling spiritually, this might be a, a day where we, they truly encounter you and they just feel renewed and refreshed knowing that you're still there. God, for those that may have never surrendered their will to you, I pray this might be the time where they would do that. God, that they would just say, you know what, enough's enough and strip it away and just lay themselves before you. God, wherever you find us, I, I, know, I know that you will minister to us. But I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that ministers to us. God, I thank you that you never um, leave us. Just like when we read about the, we read about Israel and all their shortcomings, that you never left them, but you were there with them and you continued to fulfill what you said that you were going to do. the the promise, the covenant that you made. So God, as we close our time here today, I pray that you would just allow us to encounter you. I pray that we would encounter you. I pray that we would strip away those distractions and lay ourselves out there in a contrite position and just encounter you with all of our beings. 
please just use this ne- these next few minutes to, to draw us closer to you. And it's, the, it's in the powerful name of your son that we celebrate here this morning uh, and reflect upon his birth. It's upon the name of Jesus that we pray and ask all these things. Amen.